Good morning. Well, a lot of the uh, young people are, of course, still with their families this morning. As if you've noticed that there's a big gap in the uh, congregation, that's the reason for it. And of course, there may well be other guests that are here who have joined us here at Apex because they came to join family and friends for their Thanksgiving celebration. And we want to welcome you today. Today, we're going to do something a little different. You need to turn my mic down a little bit, please. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to, um, we're going to look at the passage already beautifully introduced to us by Erin and the family ministry team. And we're going to look at it in a fresh way. You know, we've looked at these things so many times, so many of us, that the familiar has become somewhat over-familiar. It has become almost too familiar for it to have any effect on us. And so today, as we look at this amazing title of the Messiah to come, of course, Jesus fulfilling all of that prophecy, as we look at this title, Wonderful Counselor, I'm going to ask you to use even more imagination than you normally use. I'm going to ask you to imagine that you're sitting in one or other of these chairs up here. To begin with, I'm going to be the counselee, and I'm going to be offering what it is that I think are the kinds of things that are going on in my heart and mind right now, as I, like you, consider my life in relation to the large things of a pandemic that's changed everything, and the small things like what I had for breakfast. The little things, the, the, the big things, the, the things in between that, that seem to press upon me, and as far as I'm able, I'm going to articulate those. And perhaps you can be in the position of the counselor, just listening. And then I'm going to take the position of the counselor and invite you to imagine that you're in the position of the counselee. But as I go to the position of the counselor, I'm going to take the, take the posture of the Lord himself. And so I'm going to speak in personal language as if the Lord himself was giving you his personal counsel based on the passage that we have here. And perhaps today, it will be a fresh way for you to engage the good news of Jesus. Today, it'll be a fresh way for you to look at familiar things in a new way. And maybe the Lord will be gracious and give you fresh insight. The passage today is from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So just to give this passage a background, we need to understand what it is that Isaiah is seeing in his prophetic witness. He's been placed as prophets sometimes were in the Old Testament and even sometimes today. He's been placed in, a, in an unusual position within the temporal order. He can see the future as if it's present and he can see the past as if it's present. It's all laid out in front of him. Most prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament is telling forth what God is saying. And there's a little bit, maybe 20% of what the prophets tell forth is foretelling the future. And so this is telling forth things that some people already understand. And it's foretelling the solution that God will give not only to the situations that Isaiah is addressing in his contemporary world, but for the whole world in all circumstances everywhere. The northern part of Israel had divided from the southern part. There was the land of Israel, but there were the nations of Israel and the nations of Judah. The nation of Judah would be protected for another hundred years. It would see the conquest by God's mighty hand of the mighty Assyrian army. We'll look at that in the weeks to come. But this enormous army, like a swarm of locusts, would sweep across the fertile crescent from its home in the contemporary world of Iraq, the land of Assyria. It would sweep through Syria and into northern Israel where the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali had lived. And there the people would be crushed. There the people would be taken into exile. And there in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the conquering presence of the Assyrian forces of King Tiglath-Pileser would bring peoples from around the world and settle them there. And it would become called Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. The great ocean road that 
traveled up the Jordan Rift Valley called the Way of the Sea would bring riches to this area. But it would never be the same again. This world was a world crushed by oppression, crushed by pain and suffering, crushed by enslavement and exile, and became the land of the shadow of death. This became the symbol of suffering and oppression. And in this place, God would send a king, and he would begin a work in this place, in Galilee, of the Gentiles that would transform the world into the land of darkness, a light would shine. And his name would be Wonderful Counselor. He would come as a king, and as a king, he would listen to the heart's requests of his people, as a counselor should. But then, unlike many contemporary counselors, although not always the case, he would give guidance and wisdom, advice and direction. So I'm going to now offer the things that are kind of running around in my head and heart. And um, right there in your imagination is the counselor listening. And then I'll take the next position and offer some of the advice that begins in the book of Isaiah and then covers the whole counsel of Scripture, as Paul put it. So we've been talking about this for a while, I know, and um, you know some of it's been painful, and uh, some of it's been funny, and mostly it has been a working through of the things of the past. And it seems as though the, the big things that I've wrestled with are things that, quite honestly, I, I didn't even know how to name them. I knew these feelings inside, but I didn't know how to name the feelings. And you've helped me to see that those feelings are feelings of rejection and abandonment. The rejection of... Uh, being in a home, I guess like every other home, to some degree dysfunctional. More ignorant than consciously abusive, but bullying older siblings, parents who unwittingly colluded with some of that bullying, and you've taken me back even to a place where it would appear as though at a physical level I felt rejection when my mother in the first few weeks of her pregnancy was so panicked by the thought of another child that she, she tried to abort me. And those those feelings have been compounded down through the years. And um, being raised the way that I've been raised, I've 
tended to cover those things up and try to muscle through. And I, I mean, I don't know whether it's because of the effects of the pandemic or the fact that I'm at a particular stage in my life where it feels like an entire life has been lived and I've journeyed through just about every conceivable circumstance. But unbidden, these feelings have risen to the surface and I've not been able to ignore them. And I've, I've been aware of... Um, I've been aware of the way in which my work in the church has not necessarily helped me deal with these things. I think maybe even I've encouraged people to kind of ignore stuff and think of the good things and be positive and all of those things are great. But if it means that you're hiding the truth, it means that those things are still there. And I've been wounded by the church. They've, they've wittingly and unwittingly left me and given me difficult circumstances to face and sometimes deliberately wounded me. And so it's felt like I didn't really have a place to turn. Until recently, you've helped me to re-examine these things and offer them to you. So family, church, work, friends, circumstances, everybody can identify with those kinds of things. Perhaps your wounds are different to mine. Let's see what the counselor says. Perhaps it'd be a good idea to start with the words of Isaiah, words that I gave him. In the first chapter of that book, it says this, come now, let us reason together. Come now, let us reason together. Let's think this through. I've, I've given you a mind capable of reason. I've given you a, an ability, a conscience, capable of reflection. So let's reason together. It goes on to say, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You see, the wounds that you carry are the wounds that are common to all people. The three original wounds 
People often talk about original sin, of course. But my concern right now is that you understand your original woundedness and how it is that they can be healed. So let's reason together. Of course, you feel guilty. You've reacted badly. You've stepped into situations that you shouldn't have stepped into. But there's a solution for that. And that guilt that you feel, of course, is to do with the sin that you commit and is the first of the original wounds. But there are other wounds as well. The wound of fear. Listen to these words of Isaiah, inspired in him by the Spirit. But you, you who I have chosen, a descendant of my friend Abraham, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners of the world, I called you. I said, you're my chosen one. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Fear is a terrible thing. It's a deep wound. But it's only the second of the three wounds because there is a third wound. The wound of shame. Guilt is one wound. Fear is another. Shame, the third and last. Isaiah, inspired again in chapter 54, says, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. And remember no more the reproach of your abandonment. Perhaps to understand these three wounds, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to the place where the wounds were first caused and where human beings like you began this journey of woundedness. You know the story of your first mother and father, Adam and Eve, the first human beings. You know that their story was a story of oneness with me and then became a story of separation. Guilt, you see, is to do with trespass. And when I first designed human beings, I designed them 
to be my representative, to function with my rule and authority, and as such to have the territory that I gave them over which they would have complete authority on my behalf. But when they stepped outside of that authority, when they decided to wander away from that relationship, they immediately stepped into territory that wasn't their own, and the trespass felt very uncomfortable. The trespass created guilt. And they knew that they'd done something wrong. Of course, having pulled away and stepped outside of the authority, they also pulled away from my presence, which was always there to cover and overshadow them. And so for the first time in their lives, they experienced fear. The feeling of not being in my presence anymore. And because they felt that experience, they immediately understood that the abundance that my presence gave them was now gone. And immediately they began to feel want, need, scarcity. Because it's only in my presence that they can know abundance. And when they're separate, they can only know scarcity and want. And so fear and scarcity have always been deeply connected. In moving outside the authority and stepping outside of my presence, of course, they knew guilt and fear but they were no longer covered by my hand. And so now they felt exposed. They felt vulnerable. And added to their fear, they felt the shame of being uncovered, naked. What I did was I built a new relationship with them through my friend Abraham. A relationship of love. A relationship that gave them authority within the relationship of love. I promised them abundance and took away their shame and gave them a law so that they know how to function with me and how to relate to me and where the boundaries of my relationship lie. But they could never hold to it. And so I decided that I'd do something different. I decided that I'd become one of you. And in becoming one of you, I would come and live the experience of guilt and of fear and of shame. I would live 
with their consequences. I would live with their wounds. And on the cross, I chose to accept the guilt that was the consequence of their trespass. I decided I would carry that. I decided that I would know their radical isolation. I'd carry away their fear. And I decided that I'd die naked, exposed, and alone. And that on the cross I'd carry away their shame. And I took it all to the grave so that when I rose again, I would leave it behind and you could be free at last. Now, it may be as you wait for the final consummation of this great news that you have to wrestle. But now you're wrestling with something that you can receive rather than wrestling with something you can't. Because forgiveness has been given. And you can receive it and you can know the benefit of receiving it. It's not just a theory. And now I can drive away your fears because my perfect love fills the place of fear. And though you wrestle, it's not a theory. You can be free of fear. You can know that every day I provide for you and that resources are not scarce because I'm the creator. And you can know that in whatever way the world wants to bring you down and diminish you, I'm never ashamed of you. I never look away because I only see the person that I love and came for. And so you don't need to know shame. And so the three wounds can be healed. The wound of guilt, the wound of fear, and the wound of shame. And though you wrestle, you can receive these things because I'll strengthen you to receive them. So a bit different today. A little oblique, perhaps, in its method. 
But maybe you could get past the feeling of discomfort and place yourself in the counselee's chair today. The big thing that I wrestle with most days is guilt because of the personality type I am. Lots of people wrestle with fear. Others, and certainly this is true more and more today with our cancel culture and our need for the like button to be pressed. Many of us wrestle with shame. But Jesus has paid the price for us to be able to be healed of these original wounds. And we can walk stronger and freer every day as we embrace them, as we embrace the healing. By his wounds, we are healed. And so today, as the worship team come and continue to minister to us, they'll be inviting you to come to the altar. And if you happen to gather around that small carpet there on my right, or on that small carpet there on my left, when you come to do business with God and wrestle these things through, Nobody's speculating about what it is that you're thinking about or praying about because everybody's thinking about themselves and the Lord. They're not thinking about you, I promise. But if you come somewhere on these three bigger carpets, then the ministry team will know that you've invited them to pray with you as you wrestle through these things because you've set aside your embarrassment and pride and you've decided that today is a day when you're going to make fresh steps, make another step on the journey. The ministry team will never be an imposition when they pray with you. They won't insert themselves. They'll simply pray with you. They may find a scripture that God applies to you. And they may well recruit other members of the congregation to pray with them. But in this meal that God gives us every week, this is as important a part as all of the other parts. And maybe the most important part, because this is the part when you respond to what it is that God is saying to you today. What is it that you need to wrestle with today? to embrace and receive? Is it an issue of forgiveness? Is it the fears that rack you and cause you to be afraid of want and need for you or your family? Or is it the issue of shame? God wants you to come out of hiding. He wants you to step into the light with all of the gifts that he's given you, not ashamed of what it is that people say about you or what you think of yourself. And so as you respond today, you come with freedom 
and do business with him. Wrestle with him about what it is that you need to talk with him about today. If you need to come from the balcony, it's a bit of a step, but, um, but you're welcome. You're welcome too. You come. <laughs>